Lawrence is kind enough to let me do some takeovers here and there, and I get to do another one with the great Carmen Vitalia of Fox Sports. Carmen became such a huge part of so many shows here in Chicago over the past football season. It was great to have her perspective on shows like Football Night in Chicago, of course, Bernstein and Holmes on 670, the Under Center podcast, for example, on NBC Sports Chicago. I feel like you were a little bit of everywhere in such a good way. I know you did shows with Fox as well. So I think where I want to start is as we get ready for the Super Bowl, what were your biggest lessons that you learned about teams that you either had a hunch about early in the season? Like I, I know you and I have talked a lot about the Packers and your study of Matt LaFleur's offense. And then how did you see those things play out in the regular season and then into the playoffs? Because covering the NFC North for Fox Sports, you studied the Lions a lot, and they were so close to a Super Bowl. Yeah. Hey, listen, I didn't anticipate having two teams in the divisional round of the NFL play of the NFC playoffs this year. Uh, I wasn't. I didn't have that much of a foresight on on what was going to happen here. But as you mentioned, I mean, the Packers. This is nothing new with them. As Chicago Bears fans know very well. They have had the, this strategy with team building that has worked for the past three decades. It has transitioned to different quarterbacks. And basically, in the beginning, I was more like, until I see this not work as someone who grew up in Chicago and grew up a Bears fan, I am not, I don't trust that it's not going to work again. Like, un- until I'm proven that this is wrong. And sure enough, it, it worked out for the Green Bay Packers. I think so much of that had to do with the fact that the team, on paper at least, was very well set up for a new quarterback. Uh, between all of the young talent and then having what you were, you were supposed to have a really good offensive line. You were supposed to have a really good running back tandem to back him up. You were supposed to have a really good defense that had eight first round picks on that side of the ball. If everybody is healthy, it didn't quite work out that way, but at the same time you saw enough out of Jordan love so early that I'm like, whatever it is, he passed the eye test. This is, he had it. He could process everything so quickly, and it was just a matter of execution on not only his part, but then his first and second year receivers, also their part. So watching that team kind of grow up with each other across the course of the season, it always seemed to be trending in the right direction, even when they went on a skid, even when things weren't going as well as they could have. There were injuries that that, that they incurred, especially losing David Bakhtiari early, but the fact that Jordan Love overcame all of that and still developed and still improved and still kind of turned into a bona fide franchise quarterback by the end of the season, I cannot overstate how incredibly impressive that is. And I know, again, Bears fans don't want to hear that, but it's true. It happened. They made it. They, they went into Dallas. I was there. They kicked the Cowboys ass and they really came close in San Francisco to upsetting the now NFC champions. Um, I I think the future is very bright for them. I think the future is very bright for the Lions as well. Uh, I just published a story on foxsports.com talking about, listen, they are set up for sustained success. I know Dan Campbell, I commend him for being very realistic with the team. Like this could have been our only shot. It's going to be twice as hard next year, which I think is the case. But I think that the Lions can weather the storm with the added motivation that they got of being within reach of the Super Bowl and having it ripped away from them for the sole fact that they are also young and they got so much production out of their young players like Sam Laporta, Jameer Gibbs, Brian Branch, Jack Campbell on the defensive side of the ball. 
Brad Holmes hit on all four of his first picks in the draft this year. If you get one, you're lucky. If you get one starter, he got four out of it. And that in his first four picks, they have four picks in the top 100 in 20 for the 2024 draft. I have full faith that Brad Holmes is going to be able to fill the minimal holes that are on that roster. And again, just the intangible and the culture that Dan Campbell has instilled, it's going to carry them through next season as well. And they're going to be a hard out. So this is going to be a really tough division. And it's really exciting because I think that the Bears can be in the mix. Don't discount the Vikings either. Uh, I'm really interested to see what happens in, in the NFC North this year. I am too. And I, I know you and I have received a ridiculous amount of unnecessary flack for our sports opinions that come from hours that we're paid for Layla we're paid for them yeah. we're, hours pay- we're paid to have them before I get into that it's just it's uh it's really strange to see the patterns of behavior like I was on the under center podcast for NBC Sports Chicago yesterday I got asked a question about Justin Fields and the two minute drill late situations and uh Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy and the uh, the lack the purposeful lack of context that is going on, it's uh it's really like there's you know I think um there's a whole group of people who purposefully want to misunderstand people and not and not understand that just because you can see what happened to Justin Fields doesn't mean you don't think that Caleb Williams might come here you know it's it's uh it's there's a lot of people I think who. Uh, I spent way too much time in a arithmetic problem that's really an algebra problem. That all Ooh. said, I feel like it's the same way when it came to you warning people. And and it sounds so silly. Like this is warning people that a team was good. Like, oh, it's not like you were even warming warning people about like something, so something serious. Important, you know, like <laughs> It's not like you were trying to warn people about, I don't know, say a virus that they should look out for or, or you know, a, a storm or something along those lines. Here you are talking to people about what you were seeing in both Packers and the Lions and the amount of uh, just ridiculousness you got for it. Was there any like vindication, at least on your part? Not that you needed it and you shouldn't have to, but just knowing that what you said did hold weight and what you were observing did actually prove to be correct. There was a little bit. Uh, I hesitated to really categorize it or go on any sort of victory lap um, because of the fact this is my job. I I was doing Mm -hmm. my job and this is what I'm paid to do. I'm paid to be an analyst. And I think the only way to really gain credibility is longevity. And I've only been on the NFC North beat for two years. So I understand that it looks like I'm coming out of nowhere with this. And that I think there's also a hesitancy on, you know, Chicago being such a big market, it's where I'm based. Um, it's where I grew up. There's a hesitancy of of ever wanting the Packers to be good. Bears fans are very prideful, and I understand that. And they haven't had a lot to hang their hat on in in decades. And again, I was right there with you uh, for so long. And so I, I know that there's a resistance, and and there's a hope that things are going to change. And I hope that too. But that doesn't change the things that I've seen, the people that I've talked to, the conversations I've had. My opinion is not just my opinion. That is what I pride myself on in 
my job is that I have a network of people that I trust and I rely on for their input and their opinions. And it's GMs all the way down to area scouts, to assistant coaches, to head coaches. I've built up a wonderful network and I, I can't say enough about the wonderful people that have helped me along the way so that when I have an opinion, even if it started as my own, I run it past multiple people to say, does this sound right? What's your perspective? You know, does this matter? How does this work? I'm asking a ton of questions. I annoy so many people on a daily basis in these conversations, <laughs> but it it forms into one very well thought out opinion. And it is really hard to put that out there and not have people understand that this is not coming from a place of, I hate your team or I love this team. I'm not a fan. I can't cover four teams well and be a fan. If I was a Bears fan, if I came out and said I was a Bears fan, why would any Packers fan trust me to talk about the Packers or the Lions or whatever? It completely clouds your judgment. And so you have to, when you're in this position, you have to take the fan part out of yourself and say, okay, what am I objectively seeing? And I realized that you can't please all four teams with everything you say. So I just kind of, I joke that I have four fan bases that hate me. Um, but as far as vindication goes, it's just a matter of doing my job and understanding that I need to do my job well. And if that, if I'm doing that, it'll get easier. I feel like, I feel like people will start to trust me more and I don't blame them for not trusting me yet, but I, I'm hoping that with the things that I've kind of been right on or seen in advance that that will help people kind of trust me in, in the future. Uh, to, to use the phrase real ones know, I think in this case, like the real ones know people who observe what you do on a daily basis and also just watch a lot of football know how founded you are. One of the, the favorite things that I know about you is your history in the league and how you came up and the relationship you built in Tampa Bay. What was your favorite part about working with so many talented people like Todd Bowles and being a part of, of seeing Bruce Arians construct that team and, and everything that went into it? Honestly, I mean, the relationships by far were my favorite thing in the entire world. Uh, I can't thank the Bucks organization enough for never gatekeeping anything. And you give up autonomy over what you write and you give up you give up objectivity when you work for a team in most cases because you're not allowed to be critical of the team. You are your your paychecks are signed by them. So it makes a lot of sense. Usually the trade-off though is that you get unparalleled access that no one else gets. And that has kind of receded a little bit in the NFL across some clubs. Tampa Bay is not one of them. The Bucks I was allowed to go where, like, I was allowed to build my own relationships and it allowed me to go into coaches' offices when I saw a play on Sunday and said, you know, what's that? Like, why, why did that work? And, and really dive into learning the game from the source, which is not an opportunity that many people have, ever, like anybody in this industry has really had unless you come from that world. And as someone who obviously didn't play the game, who didn't coach the game, that provided me such a jump off point and, and a really unique perspective. But my favorite thing of working for a team, working inside that building was, I mean, obviously we, we won the Super Bowl when I was there, 
So I have a ring. It's really, really cool. It was a goal of mine, which was a completely misguided goal because it was to it's totally luck dependent on being in the right place at the right time. It's not like I did anything to, to get that ring, but it's really cool. But seeing how the team came together and it was a COVID year and everything seemed so discombobulated. And I think from the outside, you look at these Super Bowl teams and you're like, they have everything figured out. They have everything figured out behind the scenes. You know, they have all of the talent, but they it's being used in the right way and this, that, and the other. The way that it didn't feel like that in Tampa, there was so much going on behind the scenes because of the stressors of COVID, because of everything. We had Tom Brady for crying out loud. It didn't seem so, it didn't seem like everybody had it figured out. But what was cool is to see everybody be able to overcome that and to persevere anyway, and to figure out ways to win, regardless of if there were injuries, if there were feuds in the locker room, if there were feuds on the coaching staff. Not that there were a ton, don't get me wrong, but like it seemed a little bit just discombobulated. And I think it was so cool to see the fact that like come Sunday though, those guys were ready and they were playing for each other. And they did have a good culture to fall back on, which is why I think I gravitate so hard to the Lions now is because I recognize a really special culture there that doesn't exist at every team. And that's often what gets you through to the great successes in the NFL is the intangibles. As much as it is what you have on paper, it's the intangibles of being able to withstand the inevitable storms that happen throughout an NFL season. That's one of the wildest things to me is in covering the NFL as much as you have. And to me, just even observing it, you, you pick up on what players say and you pick up on actions where coaches choose to work and where players want to stay and, and how they're saying things. You know, they, it's, I think if you, if you listen hard enough and you, you really pay attention to what people say after a certain amount of time in our business, you, you realize that there aren't a lot of good run teams in the league, which is such a crazy concept to me that here we are talking about such a multi-billion dollar industry and the best of the best and how the league just has unprecedented growth, even though they just had unprecedented growth. Like It seems like everything the NFL touches turns to gold, and yet so many of the teams are just really poorly run, <laughs> yet it doesn't really matter unless you're covering each team and understanding why some get to the top and some don't. I even look back on it because I realized that the more I learned about the game itself, even the more I realized I didn't know. And I, I think in some respects, that's very uniquely female um, because I, there's a lot of egos that you learn to work with in this industry. And I think it's most, I think the best coaches and the best players are the ones that know what they don't know. And because the, the fact of the matter is the more you learn, the more you realize that. And if you just look at a single football play, the amount of things that have to go right for it to work, it's a wonder to me that anything ever works. You have to get 11 guys all with their own egos, all with their own agendas, all with their own skill sets to work together and flawlessly execute a plan put in place by somebody else who is on the sideline telling you what to do. And if even one of those guys does one single thing wrong, if he releases wrong, if he takes the wrong route, if he 
has a different leverage than he's supposed to as a DB. If any of that goes wrong, the play does not work. And I wish more fans would also understand that part of it where these are still humans. They are subject to human error. And the fact that you have anything go right is kind of insane. And the fact that you even have these organizations that do work well, when again, it's just a like the, the team itself is a microcosm of the organization where if one person isn't doing their job, that can derail the whole thing. Or you can have a really good culture that withstands all of this, that forgives those people and perseveres anyway. And that's where you get these really good teams, these really well-oiled machines, these ones that win the Super Bowl um, or are just known as good organizations. I mean, it's, I love the intricacies of the NFL world. That's why I've never wanted to really cover any other sport or anything like that, because the more I've gotten into this, the more I just, I I loved it as a kid. I've always loved football as a kid. Uh, but getting into it, it was the exact opposite of don't meet your heroes. It was like, no, meet your heroes because you're going to love it even more. That's so rewarding. And Mm -hmm. I think you're so right about recognizing weaknesses. The one year that Ryan Pace recognized that he hadn't drafted well in the first round, he had the the chance to trade for, for Khalil Mack. And look what happened. He got executive of the year that year. Like the, he got so much benefit of the doubt. I think that's the year that really bought him so many more years with the Bears organization and really fans, even though you started to see it even unravel a bit. The league had figured out Matt Nagy's offense, I'm convinced, at the end of that season. Um, you know, the trick plays again to the end zone, Barrett out. Like they would have lost in 2018 to me, either to the Eagles or to the Saints that season. However, the concept of just people at that level, understanding what they might have a deficiency in, and then being able to not only work with it, but then succeed with it, says a lot about the, uh, it says a lot about just the lack of ego there. And and the, mm-hmm. the minute you don't have it and you do something about it, that's when, that's when the money is made. You know, I think about the Bucks. Jenna Lane wrote an article, and I'm sure you were on top of this too at the time. It's just, that's the one that I saw. Talking about the adjustments the Bucks made that Super Bowl season during the bye week and how they were like, this isn't good enough. We need to fix this. What do you remember about that? And then being able to say, nope, this is not what we need to be doing right now. And then that self-evaluation is what helped lead to winning. Um, it was an evaluation that could have only come at that time because from what I was able to see, again, like, it being COVID, I was a little further removed from the team than I was normally. But at the same time, that was Tom Brady's first year. There was so much that was different that year with him in, basically in charge. Not that anyone wants to um, give Tom even more credit than he gets. I feel like he's, you know, everybody's like, ah, I don't want to hear any more about Tom Brady and how good he is. The way that he was putting together game plans in real time on the field. I mean, there were instances where he wouldn't get to the line and audible. He would get to the huddle, see what the defense was doing and just say, Hey, Mike Evans, go run a fade instead. Like he would change individual routes on a play because he could recognize things that closely. And when you have a guy like that, it's really hard to mesh right away because you 
these guys had never worked with Tom before. And contrary to what everyone wants, you can't just training camp isn't a, isn't long enough to gel and to mesh and to understand the nuances of your quarterback, especially one that's as commanding as Tom. And I think that by week, everybody sat down, they evaluated everything that had happened up until that point. And it was like, okay, this is what I, like Tom saying, this is what I've seen that works. Bruce saying, this is what I've seen that works. Byron, okay, this is what works. And they formulated a plan based on the evidence they already had, which was, I remember like getting the schedule that year and realizing the buy was so late and being like, ugh. But I think it was a blessing in disguise because it gave them a large enough sample size to understand what worked and what didn't so that they ran the table after that. And it was a meeting of the minds as was the entire season. I think that Bruce, as big of a coach as he, a big of a personality as he is, as big of a coach as he is, as, as well established as a coach as he is and was at the time, he was very open to hearing what Tom had to say because Tom came in with that track record. And I don't know that that works with anyone else necessarily. Bruce was known as the quarterback whisperer, but what happens when you have a quarterback, you don't have to whisper. And instead of Bruce butting heads with him, it was a, Hey, let's work together. And again, it it goes back to checking your ego and being like, all right, this is what we need to do to win. And they did. And it was really, really cool to see that, um, you know, their confidence just gained steam every week after that bye week into the postseason and then the postseason too. I mean, I remember players even defensively coming up to me after they won the NFC championship in green Bay, the minute they saw the game plan for the chiefs, which was week and a half, two weeks in advance. Right. Uh, they were like, we knew we were winning the game. That was how much confidence they, those guys had. It was, it was two weeks out the day one install of the game plan against the chiefs that Todd Bowles presented to the entire defense. I had multiple guys come up to me and tell me we knew we were winning then and there. I felt like I had watched the real Super Bowl in the NFC championship game. I will I cried I cried in that game. I didn't cry in the Super Bowl. I cried in that game. You cried. I love you're willing to admit that. I love that you first of all gave yourself the grace to actually cry. Because I'd be like, I'm wearing makeup. I can't let people see me do anything. Like I would, I would just sit there and weird. Oh, I was in the I was in the press box sobbing. Like my now, my my now coworker Greg Allman was like sitting there, like very much dadding me. Like it's okay, sweetie. I'm like, no, I know it's okay. It's amazing. I can't get over this. Oh my god, they worked so hard for this. They're going to the Super Bowl. Anyway, and you, I derailed that. Did you work for the team? Like, you work yeah. for the team, you have a ring. I think, it. you know, it's important to point out, like, media literacy. Lawrence always talks about that. And since this is a Hassabelle production, I feel like that's a good thing to say. Like, there's yeah. a difference between your job at Fox Sports, where you're a roving reporter covering teams, and your job your job with Tampa and how you were able to, to celebrate yes. in that moment. What was that like? Because we're not supposed to cheer in the press box. <laughs> I know we're not. And actually both of the last uh, posts or two of the last postseason games I've been to, uh, two of the last three, the uh, media has had to be reminded to not cheer in the press box. It was at AT AT&T in Dallas and then in San Francisco. (laughs) Um, No, it is. It's a weird juxtaposition because you're not quite media, but you're also 
treated like media in a lot of ways from like, like players that don't necessarily have the media literacy to know. And again, because I was allowed so much access, most of the players knew what I did and, and how I was different. And the fact that like, no, I was a fan. I was a fan of the team first. And that allowed me to not have to be so objective because I wasn't covering any other team. And again, my paychecks were signed by the Bucks. So no one was under any impression that like I had, you know, I wasn't a fan and I was a fan of the team because I also got to know those guys on such a personal level that you want your guys to win. And even now, like I, I don't cover them. So I'm like, I'm, I'm a Bucks fan now. Um, it was, there's so much though that goes into a season, an NFL season on the other side of the building that no one really gets to see. Um like the digital staff, the marketing staff, the PR staff, uh, the hours that they put in to make that machine go, no one no one sees that. And it's not talked about very often. And it's often for very little pay. That's another thing that I think Mike Florio just came out with something about the analytics guys wanting to work for an NFL team and make NFL money. NFL money, if you are not a player or a coach or an executive, sucks. Sucks. I doubled my salary going to Fox sports. Like I was being paid nothing. (laughs) And so, and and neither was really anyone on that side of the building again, unless you're like C-suite or or a big executive or whatever. And you pour your heart and soul into those jobs again, for not little pay for the chance that something like this happens where your team advances and you've worked really hard in another aspect, but it still feels rewarding. And it's a really weird juxtaposition of the fact that so much of your job depends on something you're so that you're not in control of. So much of our job depended on what happened on the field. So you're so invested in that because it means you're going to, it's the difference with whether or not you have a good day at work the next day is if the team wins or loses. And like, that's so hard to comprehend if you haven't been in it. And it's why you see team employees get rings because yes, they didn't have anything to do with what happened on the field, but their jobs completely depended on that. And I think it's really cool again, that the Bucks gave us rings. We got Super Bowl tickets. My dad and my brother got to come to the game. Um, But it was so you talk about vindication that that was what it was. It was like, I've put in, I think that was my fifth year with the team, but I put in five years with this team, poured my heart and soul into it. I've worked coaches hours for a lot of it, honestly. I mean, I was working 50 to 60 hours a week at one point. Um, Easily. And now I get to reap some of the benefits that, that these other guys do. And I get to have a shiny piece of jewelry and and I get to have these experiences uh, of bringing my family into it and all that other stuff. So it was, it's, it's, I think media literacy is super important because while we're all different forms of journalists, it's not all the same. And okay. I think people need to understand those roles and the nuances between those roles a little bit more so you can understand the perspective that you're getting um, from each person. Cause it is, it's completely different. Yeah. And I don't mind that people don't know. I mind when they refuse to listen refuse to know when they purposefully take you out of context, when they purposefully don't want to understand. I have a different job on Channel 5 than I have on 670, than I have on NBC Sports. You know, that's, 
And I, I know that that can be hard when you see the same person, but, right. but what you just said matters. And what's funny is I was always told because I used to be the field reporter for the Padres for Fox Sports San Diego, that players didn't know until they saw you on the plane or they saw you at the team hotel. And I don't know if you yeah. flew on the team plane or if you stayed yeah. at the team hotel, but like that was their way of knowing, oh, this person is is our person. Like they they work with us, and I think that that's um, that's like an inside thing that I don't necessarily know people know, but they might want to. I, I will never forget the day that it was after Bruce's staff came in in 2019, and his predecessor, Dirk Cutter. Um, had been really great to me too, honestly. I wasn't as close with that staff, but I, I had become, I had started to become close with them so much so that Dirk had allowed me to stay out at practice, um, even when the media had to go into the the media room. And you know, usually only a portion of practice is open to the media, right? So when Bruce got hired, I went into his office. I don't, again, I don't know what gave me like the audacity to do this. Like this is an NFL head coach and like someone who I had been a huge fan of, and here I am waltzing into his office, um, and said, "Hey, uh, you know, Dirk." had let us kind of be outside during practice, even when the media goes in. I just want to, you know, run that by you, see how you feel about it. Can, can I stay? Like, I really think I get a lot out of it. And he's like, you work for us. Right. And I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, I don't give a shit. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> I'm to stay at practice. And the way that I made it a point to stay out of practice every day, so much so that I remember Byron left, which the offensive coordinator a couple weeks in or a few weeks in, coming up to me and being like, you're really out here with us, aren't you? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, I like that. He's like, he's like, you're good by me. And it was just because they could see me and it was just being around uh, and being within their eyeline. It it makes a huge difference when it comes to these guys trust in you and, and for their, their understanding of what you do and the fact that you're on their side. Um, yeah, it was great. And that, it was great. And that you needed to be in in that job you had. I think mm-hmm. that that's a big part of it. But I always, right. I always like to say, when when I'm genuinely trying to to interview somebody, like I I always try to speak the intention of my interview a lot of the time. I'm like, hey, I'm confused about yep. this play, or I, you know, if you look bad, I look bad. Like I'm not trying to have a gotcha moment here. I'm trying to figure out what what's happening. You know, so I think. It's not, you know, they aren't owed that necessarily in in my role, but I always like to say, here's what I'm thinking before I ask a question, because I think the benefit of the doubt is always something that uh, that you have to earn. And I'm yeah. sure that they appreciated that from you. Yeah, I think going forward, I've taken that experience, though, and I've infused as much as I can into my current role, which, again, is having to be very objective, trying to get to the bottom of things and the truth of things, because I think this is a whole other conversation, but I love athlete led media. I think, you know, what the Kelsey brothers are doing is awesome. Uh, You see it with a lot of former NBA guys and and all that kind of stuff. And I think that's wonderful. Um, But you are only getting one side of the story. Mm -hmm. And the job of journalists is to get to the truth. And so often I go into interviews and I do the same thing. I'm like, Hey, like, I try to take the most positive thing. If I can help it, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to be critical. Um, If you warrant it, I I will be critical. But if I'm not, I'm not trying to have that gotcha moment. I'm just trying to figure out 
because all my experience up until this point has taught me there is a reason behind all of this. There is a reason behind dysfunction. There is a reason behind something happening. There's a reason behind, you know, a play that didn't work out. And sometimes it's not what you think it is. And so even when I'm being critical or even when I'm trying to kind of get to the bottom of things, I do go in and I say, listen, I understand that this sucks or this is hard or I, it looks like to me on this play, like so-and-so was out of position. Was that the case? Am I getting the full picture? I'm just trying to understand. And I, and I always come from a place of wanting to learn. And I think that people really respond to that rather than saying, well, I saw this and this, this should have been this and this and that. So why didn't that happen? Like accused, which is like a very accusatory tone. I try to never be accusatory when I go into things, even when it's something that warrants criticism. And it, it stems from understanding who these guys are as people and, and being around them and having personal relationships with a ton of them uh, that I never, I always fall back on like, when I say something in an interview, like it, as an analyst on TV, whatever, would I want a coach seeing that? Because oftentimes they see it. And so I kind of, even if it's critical, I want it to be fair. But I want under I want people to understand too that this is our job is to find the truth and that matters. I mean, it doesn't matter as much as like politics and like world events and all that other stuff. This is sports, but you lose a lot of that when you just have one side of the story, which I think there's a place for. Again, don't get me wrong; I'm not condemning athlete-led media. I think it's great that these guys are getting involved. I just want people to understand that we're not out to be these big, bad, gotcha journalists, yada, yada, yada. We're just trying to get to the truth and that's valuable. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. No, and it, it's never as simple as whatever we think it is. Just like you were right. talking about with Tom Brady. I feel like there are so many times where you could see Aaron Rodgers do that and people get jobs because they're around him, as we saw with the Bears. And if you don't have that information, if somebody is not brave enough, frankly, and, and secure enough in their job and in their position to tell you you're seeing somebody audible something or call a separate play before they get to the line of scrimmage from the field, then you don't have that information. And I feel like that's, that's important. Like, have we all, you know, I have my takes here and there and, and we all say things out of, out of frustration for what we see, but it, it truly is to me, never as simple as like, Oh, a team choked. 
or we saw, no. you know, so-and-so can't perform in, you know, a game-winning drive. It's, it's never, ever that simple. Um, no. I think that's something that, uh, you know, when, when we take different looks at it, when we point out separate, separate breakdowns in a play, you know, I feel like that's, uh, that's a lot of what's being attacked. And that was one of my main reasons, too, for wanting to learn the intricacies of the game itself was because at the time for the Bucks, I could protect players that way. I could say, listen, they did this. And then so this was passed off to another player. And so, yeah, you look it looks like, you know, so and so got beat when in reality, because of this check that the offense made, it was somebody else's responsibility but that person either didn't see it or whatever. like there was an aspect of it to me of where I could protect guys by educating fans and saying this isn't what you think it is or this was so much harder than what it looked like which is why it broke down and I yep. I, I take that with me now because I think that that's it's really useful context there is so much context to everything about this game whether that's on the field or even you know rumors that you hear in the locker room and all the other stuff. There's so much context that matters. And we live in such a black and white society these days, especially online, where everything is either one extreme or the other, when in fact, most of the time, it everything is in a gray area. It, there's there's reasons and there's a, there's a middle ground there that we're not talking about, which goes back to the beginning of, of our conversation, just about when you say things people automatically assume that if you want to move on from Justin Fields, that you hate him. No. Like there's so much more that goes into that decision than whether or not you believe Justin is a good player. And that is all I've been trying to say, but it goes back to what you said about people not hearing you or refusing to hear that part of the argument of, I am telling you that I like Justin Fields. I think he's a very talented player. But there are so there's so much extra context around this that you need to factor in because that factors into decisions like this, which I've seen firsthand. So, right. I, yeah. No, this, finish your thought. You were going. No, that was it. I mean, that was. I just I want people to live in that gray area a little bit more and realize that not everything is as simple as A or B. There's there's stuff in between there and the context matters. Yeah. I think, I think the, uh, the thing is we're speaking to people who want to listen. Like you, you click on uh, this podcast and, and you want to hear what we have to say about it. It's a, uh, it's a matter of those people helping spread the word. to others. <laughs> That's probably. I know. Do us the favor. Like, guys. Do us the favor. <laughs> yeah, the, the the people who want to misinterpret what we say so they feel better will be there. It's just a matter of how many people check them who aren't us. So there's that. But it it, it uh, speaks to something that I shared with you, I think, a few weeks ago. You and I both like the the Instagram account, maybe both. And she does YouTube now, Anna Kai. And she's from Philly, where they don't suffer fools. And mm -hmm. she, she speaks a lot to dating and how a lot of women are putting up with things that they shouldn't have to put up with. And one of the things she talked about was Jalen uh, Hurts' 
management team and his agent, Nicole Lynn. And at the very end of that, of the description of how Nicole Lynn came to become a successful agent, which I strongly recommend you check out on her Instagram if you haven't, is Anna saying, as long as there are strong women succeeding, there will be weak men trolling. And I sent that to you. And you were like, yes, I needed to see this today. Because I think a lot of the stuff I come across, I share because I know somebody probably needs to see it that day. I need to see it that day. I needed to see it's it. It's always <laughs> every day of the week. It is always on time, that phrase. And I shared it with you and it inspired you to talk your ish about <laughs> something. So is it possible for you to share that story? <laughs> it was right after, you know, Jordan Love had... A wonderful game uh towards the end of the season or it was when the season wrapped up and you kind of knew it was the game it was bears game um and that's when you kind of knew like jordan love was it and uh i went back and forth again about the victory lap thing but then before the reason washed over me and i was like ah i, I this is my job this is i don't need to do a victory lap for my job i was right sure um, but what really got to me and what I ended up doing was I was, so as I was looking back on making sure that, you know, covering my own bases that like, I've been very steadfast that Jordan Love is going to be good all season. And so I was looking back on things to make sure that that had been my message the entire time, just because I say a lot of stuff throughout the course of a season and wanted to make sure. Um, and I came across an article in week six where, you know, the Packers were on a little bit of a skid, Green Bay fandom was melting down. And I was like, guys, we can't make any sweeping conclusions about the Green Bay Packers and Jordan Love in week six. It's just not enough of a sample size. That's all I said. It was very benign. And I realized that I had muted that post as I do a lot of my posts because I, <laughs> I do it all the time, Layla, because I cannot I, I can't, I can't go through it. I can't get the notifications. I don't want to see it. And it sucks because I like engaging with fans. And I think that there is some constructive conversation to be had. And I like knowing what their thoughts are. And it helps, again, that helps form my opinions as well. But so often this year, I had to mute my own work because I'm like, I cannot stand the vitriol that is being spewed my way for just stating an opinion. Something as benign as wait and see just wait, like wait on any conclusions. And I looked at this post and I looked at the comments in there, which ranged from how much of a dumbass I am to downright vulgar. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, again, we don't need to live in these, this world of extremes. So I quote tweeted it. And so instead of my victory lap, I ended up just being like, Hey, listen, we don't have to do this. This is not necessary. It is not, we can disagree without being disrespectful. And that was the point of me doing that more so that, I mean, the symptom of it was definitely some sort of hot. I was right about Jordan Love, by the way, um, which I fully own. Like that was, that was absolutely a symptom of that post. But the main message behind the post was just to be like, we do not have to live in this world of being so incredibly disrespectful for people doing their jobs. That's all I was doing was doing my job. And again, it wasn't a hot take. I wasn't trying to elicit any sort of reaction with that. I was literally doing the opposite of saying, don't react, just wait. 
And I was trying to be a voice of reason. And it is so, it really does. And no one wants to hear this out of somebody who gets to watch football for a living. I get it. But it becomes, it really weighs on your mental health. And I've been in and out of therapy because of my job solely. I mean, like, trust me, I've got my own issues. (laughs) But I have solely been in and out of therapy for my job because this job requires you to have an armor. And it it shouldn't have to be that way when somebody is paying you to for your analysis because you have experience, because you have a network, because you are intelligent in the things that you say. And it only gets worse the further up you go. I mean, I have wonderful friends like yourself. You have a much bigger platform than I do. And then I have friends like Joy Taylor or Alex Curry or Cynthia Freeland, or Colleen Wolf. I mean, all of these women who are so incredibly good at their jobs. Mina Kimes, oh my God. So incredibly good at their jobs. And they are crucified for saying their opinion, even when it turns out to be right. So that was, I was just, it was a lot of pent up frustration. I was like, I need to say something. And then when you sent me that uh, reel from, uh, what, what what's her actual name? I forget her actual name. Anna Kai. Anna, yeah, Anna Kai. Anna, wonderful person. Because yeah, I follow her now. Uh, when you sent me that, I was like, I'm pressing send. <laughs> I'm pressing send on this thing that I said because we do not need to live like this. We don't, and I I deal with it, and I it is definitely weighed on my mental health, and I don't know why there are so many people who are just so. Like it's not the uh, it's not the disagreement on the t- on like something about football. It's the personal no. insults that are just like okay, but this is clearly not about me. Like right. clearly, but it's so true. Like the the I hate using the term jealous because the worst people I know were always the ones saying, oh, they're just jealous of me. And it's like, yes. no, you you really just were a bad person. Right. <laughs> like, I hate I hate, I hate that excuse too. I really, really do. Yeah, because it's, it's always used by the worst people I knew. And I'm like, are you jealous or are you just a bad individual? But you can see, you can see the jealousy. And it's, um, I don't know, man, I... I, I like to say these days there are creators and there are complainers. And for those of us creating content, if you need us in order to have an existence, then uh, that's on you. It's it's absolutely but, a reflection of those people. And that's what you have yeah. to keep telling yourself. But that expends yeah. mental energy too, to what you were saying about like mental health. Like even ignoring it takes mental energy. To- oh yeah, it's, Ignoring it takes time that we don't feel like taking. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. Blah. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I, I'm not ending the pot on that. Uh, I think um, what has, I want to ask you, what has been your favorite thing about either your job or what you've done recently that has inspired you or something that you've really enjoyed? As, as you get ready to, uh, to have like Super Bowl week. Are you going to the Super Bowl, by the way? I didn't even ask. 
<laughs> I'll be there for the week. Um, I'm going Tuesday to Friday. Do some stuff oh, on that's Radio exciting. Row. Yeah, um, it's such a wonderful like homecoming. That's it, that is actually one of my fa- the favorite parts of my job is these like events that get the entire NFL world or at least a lot of it uh, together. My favorite week actually is the combine because I love the NFL combine in Indy. It's such a small space and the NFL just takes it over uh, and you can't walk two blocks without running into somebody that you haven't seen in a while or, you know, just the conversations that come out of the combine and everything like that. It's, it's wonderful. I love it. Um, And that is honestly my favorite part of what I do is the relationships that you get to build. And I feel so lucky to have landed at least tangentially in the Chicago market. I know I don't just cover the bears, but because of God, I'm probably gonna get sappy about this. You and Courtney and Courtney Cronin and Caitlin Starkey and Cassie Carlson, you all have been so instrumental in making me feel so welcome in a role that I didn't know if I was ready for. So it's, been awesome to like work with all of you guys and then it's been even more wonderful to get to hang out with you guys outside of work and to have this support system because being a woman in sports media is such a unique experience that unless you are a woman in sports media you can't fully grasp or understand it uh like my boyfriend is a reporter but and and for as as wonderfully understanding as he is with so much um it, it doesn't compare to the girls that are in it with you. And so I just love that. That's been my favorite thing these last couple of seasons. Um, and especially this season is getting to get you guys and, and have that support system. Uh, Cause it means so much. It really does. Yay. <laughs> well, same here. Absolutely. I feel like we have a good group and there were a couple of years right after I gotten, um, laid off from NBC Sports Chicago, where the amount of women reporters had seriously dwindled in sports. So to see it come back and to see it uh, have numbers again, I feel like it is is really big. And and I'm glad that uh, we can form this good girl gang that we have going on. So it's been I love it so much. I know, right? Like, well, I mean, we do miss you, you know, we don't get to see you as often, which is a bummer. But And Ruthie uh, Polinsky, I have to shout her out too, by the way. She's, she was a newcomer to Chicago too, and she took it she took it by storm. Ruthie's had an amazing year. I am thrilled for what is next for her. Uh, and uh, yeah, the only problem is one of us is always working. So we can't I know. hang out together. <laughs> I know. Uh, I know. And it's like every time... Week, it is brutal. Every time like a group of us gets to hang out, it's like, well, we're le- we're missing at least one every single time, um, which is which is hard. But maybe in the off season, uh, this football off season, I know that you have you 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 do such a stellar job with so many sports. Dear God, I don't know how you keep up with all of it. Ruthie's the same way. I mean, Caitlin and Cassie both you know doing TV, having to cover multiple sports in Chicago. But I think that means that Courtney and I can be a little bit more flexible. <laughs> maybe I I do. I think we need like a sports girls day off where we all just take the day and go away. Like that would be my women in sports day. But uh, who knows? I Well, we do sincerely appreciate it, Carmen. Thank you so much for joining me for this. Lawrence has been kind enough to let me take over a few episodes of House of L. And he's the one who suggested it. I was like, yeah, 
I definitely want to talk to Carmen. I didn't. Oh, I love Lawrence. I love Lawrence. He is also, I mean, you talk about somebody that has just championed everyone around him. He's such a light, I think, in everybody that meets him because he, he will go to bat for everybody. And he is so encouraging. And the confidence boost I get every single time I do football night with him is, is unparalleled. I love it so much. We're we're fans of all that is for sure. Thank you so much, Carmen. I appreciate it, especially since I got to catch you before you go to Vegas for Super Bowl week. That's exciting. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I will. I, I, you know, let me know if you need some content from there because I will be on Radio Row for at least three days, uh, if not all four. So we'll see. Oh yeah, we should we should definitely hit you up. The other piece of it is, do you have to stay at either the Luxor or the Excalibur? Nope. Nope, nope. Got- made my own. I made my own. I made my own arrangements. Not that it's much. I mean, I, I think I'm staying at Planet Hollywood, but it's it's a. It's, I did it because Planet Hollywood is is not very expensive, and it is right center strip. So like, you can get to anywhere uh, from Planet Hollywood. In all of my travels to Vegas, which have been plentiful, uh, I'm very interested to see how what a Super Bowl looks like because I think that they're very well equipped to do that. And the. Uh, the gambling aspect of things with a bunch of NFL players coming into town is going to also be very interesting. <laughs> oh, it'll, yeah, it'll be fun. I'm sure our friends at Circa in Las Vegas will also have a really big part of it. We're doing a Circa party for 670 the Sunday of uh, Super Bowl Sunday before the game. So that'll be a lot of fun, too. But, yeah, you'll, ha- you'll have to tell us about it. We need, we'll need you to report back because it sounds like it's going to be filled with so many stories. It, it, I'm sure it will be. It is every year. <laughs> Carmen, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.